Welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. Three billion human lives ended on August 29th, 1997. The survivors of the nuclear fire called the war Judgment Day. They lived only to face a new nightmare, the war against the machines. The following review will contain spoilers and may contain strong language. The first Terminator was programmed to strike at me in the year 1984, before John was born. It failed. The second was set to strike at John himself when he was still a child. As before, the Resistance was able to send a lone warrior, a protector for John. It was just a question of which one of them would reach him first. Today, as part of our throwback series, we'll be discussing Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Starring Linda Hamilton. You need to know how Skynet gets built. Who's responsible? The main most directly responsible is Miles Bennett Dyson. In a few months, he creates a revolutionary type of microprocessor. Human decisions are removed from strategic defense. Skynet begins to learn at a geometric rate. It becomes self-aware at 2.14 a.m. Eastern Time, August 29th. In a panic, they try to pull the plug. Joe Morton. You're judging me on things I haven't even done yet. <laughs> How are we supposed to know? Edward Furlong. The whole thing goes. The future's not set. There's no fit but what we make for ourselves. She intends to change the future. Robert Patrick. You the legal guardian of John Connor. That's right, officer. What's he done now? Could I speak with him, please? There was a guy here this morning looking for him, too. Yeah, a big guy on a bike. Has that got something to do with this? No. I wouldn't worry about him. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. Police? How many? All of them, I think. I'll take care of the police. Hey, wait, you swore! Trust me. Directed by James Cameron. The future, always so clear to me, had become like a black highway at night. We were in uncharted territory now, making up history as we went along. Hello and welcome to the Rewind Movie Podcast. You think you're so creative. You don't know what it's like to really create something, to create a podcast, to feel it growing inside you. All you know how to create is death and destruction. It's Gally in Glasgow. Uh, and with my bitch slap rapping and my cocaine tongue, I've got nothing done. It's Devlin in London. You're pretty jumpy, Connor. It's Patrick in London. Uncle Bob, uh, Okay, okay. It's Matt in South Korea. Welcome back, gang. And welcome back, listeners, to the real episode. Yes, yes. <laughs> For those of you that enjoyed the award show... God bless you and good night. <laughs> for those of you that, that looked at it and went, ah, I think I'll skip that and wait for a real episode. Welcome back. Episode 101. Do you see what we did there, team? Yeah? Oh, what, we what film we're discussing? Oh, I've only <laughs> just realized. We've been upgraded, yeah. all of us are made out of mercury now, which is great. A mimetic polyalloy. <laughs> Devlin, that is, a, that is a very, very good point because he is still a Model 101, but he is actually a T-800. So we have probably jumped the gun a tad. We don't have to do 800 of these, do we? There's 800 sequels. So. <laughs> Put the boot in early. Oh, <laughs> so 
Listeners, we are doing Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Now, for those of you that have followed us throughout our journey, through time, um, you would have noticed that we did the Terminator some time ago. Without me? Without Matt, yes. Well, you know, bitter. Uh, oh, no, no, it's fine. But we sent you back from the future to then be in this episode. <laughs> yeah. But you may have noticed that I did a little funny thing. We were highlighting the fact that all the sequels are the same. <laughs> pretty much um so we did a little plot of every single sequel yeah but we didn't really discuss it we just kind of did did a little funny God, so funny we are funny. <laughs> and isn't it good to tell people how funny we are i just remember you slagged them all off really didn't you in a in varying degrees yeah i, I, I think i said i don't mind terminator 3 but it's the best of the bunch <sighs> well i've endured them all this week and boy do I disagree a little bit? I think that there's uh, there's there's scope to have this discussion as to which of these turds I would rather step in. Mm-hmm. But um, I, yes, I I was surprised at how much I dislike Terminator Three in retrospect. Ooh, I haven't seen it in a long time. Well, I I think it will be instructive to talk about it in relation to Terminator Two. We're gonna so, we're gonna nice. review all of them, aren't we? Oh God! No, <laughs> no, no, no. We can't set off another series while we've still got. I think we've got three currently. <laughs> Not completed. Yeah. We have to finish one before we're we swimming around the one. shallow waters around Amity. Yeah. What else are we doing? Yeah. We're, we're in space. Although I think we're in space. We have to watch yeah, Adrian Brody and Predators next. That's the other one we're going to do. And we're under the sheets. We've got the, the Erotic Thriller series. So, um, <laughs> you know, we can't be in four places at once. Maybe three, but not four. Yeah. We're only men after all anyway so just innocent (laughs) i knew you were gonna do (laughs) (laughs) so we're gonna we're gonna be discussing uh, a film that i would imagine most listeners will be pretty familiar with certainly our our demographic so patrick first experiences with the terminator 2 colon judgment day pretty sure this was, it was Terminator 2. I was very young. I wasn't allowed to watch it. But my dad snapped me into the living room and was like, watch this. And he showed me the opening uh, Warzone sequence. I, I remember the foot crushing the skull mm. and coming up to the machine and just the, the, the whole Warzone thing and being blown away. And, you know, I think my dad's enthusiasm really caught me as well. Um. That was my first impression with it, just to see the the future, which is amazing. And then I don't think I watched it for a long time after that. Uh, I don't know what age I was, but I remember that was a family movie night that was, okay, I'm watching something here. They've picked this up. I know it's really popular with mum and dad. Dad, and uh, he, <laughs> he'd always quote Enrique, you're pretty jumpy, Ghana, and all these things. And uh, highly quotable in our house. And... I remember watching it being really wowed. Just don't remember how old. I, I think it had been a TV record or something. Um, I imagine I was older than you guys. I think I was closer to like, I don't know, 10, I think. Uh, Same age as John, allegedly. <clears throat> yeah. I really, I remember really taking hold of John like, as a character I really liked at the time and I remember crying at the end when the thumb goes up. Oh, God, sandwiches. Myself there. Uh, (laughs) First impressions, you know, all those years ago. Um, What about you, Matt? Um, Probably a similar age, which is confusing because we're, I don't know how many years apart. Um, Mine was taped off TV 
back in the nineties. I, I always remember my version had the guy, uh, the guy when, when he gets his hands burnt on the stove and, uh, the guy that gets shanked with a, with a knife. Um, oh no, Arnie gets stabbed with the in, knife in the biker bar in the biker bar yeah. at the beginning and they cut that out. And th- there was an interesting thing with aspect ratios as well. Uh, I'm always going on about that because we used to back in there, we used to watch things in, you know, four by three. So everything was cropped out. So the guy that gets hurled through the window and he lands on the front of the car, um, the guy that hits him with the pool cue, um, when he goes out of the bar later, I'd never seen him on the car before. Like in my version, he just disappeared uh-huh. forever. But when I saw the widescreen, one, I was like, Oh, he's there. You can, you can see him again. So I, I've seen this one. It's a bit like my experience with Die Hard over the years, seeing it four by three cut to ribbons and then every incarnation of it going forward through DVDs and Blu-rays. It's been really fun to get more out of it. And even the most recent watch on, on Netflix was uh, the best I've ever seen it. It was the theatrical cut and it looked fantastic in, in like a 4k UHD uh, Korean Netflix version. Um, yeah. My, my experiences go back quite a long way. It was around the time of use your illusion Two. Uh, which had uh, You Could Be Mine uh, by Guns N' Roses on, and that was also on the soundtrack. And Arnie's in the video, and uh, it's a T2-themed Guns N' Roses video. Um, so we were all into that at the time. Um, my next-door neighbor, Joanne, had uh, it as a game for the NES, I think, and it was black and white. And all I remember about it was it, it was the the chase between the john on the motorcycle and uh and the t-1000 chasing him and uh, you had to sort of intercept it you played as arnie and you had to intercept it so yeah uh, and i just always didn't get very far but um yeah i I always enjoyed it and uh i've i've uh, been watching it two or three times in different versions there's a there's a weird thing going on online at the moment with open map versions where you can see more of the film than ever before all the stuff that was cropped out of course, you're not supposed to see it, but it's interesting to to have a look. And I was sharing that with you in the group. But um, yeah, fascinating stuff. I keep watching it over and over again. Um, Devlin, how about you? Uh, interesting that you mentioned the Use Your Illusion 2 era because uh, my into this was that I was the biggest Guns N' Roses fan when I was this age. Like We saw them, didn't we? The rubbish version with Buckethead at the uh, Leeds we Festival. <laughs> uh, hey, hey, Matt, uh, where's Slash? In your ass. Go home, fuckhead. <laughs> Somebody tried to heckle Axl Rose at Leeds Festival and that was his response. Yeah. He was enormous, wasn't he, Axl Rose? But not, not quite as bad he as he is now, but he was dreadful. Yes. Uh, uh, that, that was quite something. That was the first time I'd ever got to see them. But like at that age, I was, there was a shop in Darlington called Rock 90 and they didn't change the name until they went out of business. And of course, this was already 1991. Um, and they used to be, it was the place where you could buy, um, band merch. So I used to buy Guns N' Roses shirts, these really grotesque Guns N' Roses shirts, um, that would be, of course, massive adult sizes. So they would be roughly knee length. Uh, I had a bandana <laughs> and a mullet. You have a bandana. I had a bandana and a mullet. You were John Connor's of... friend in the film, right? Ah. Yeah, definitely. So this is like, uh, uh, so this is the same era where like my, my dad was not particularly uh, strong on policing our media intake so kind of left us to our own devices so um, we watched terminator 2 pretty soon after it came out obviously not at the cinema but i think it would have been a rental definitely a britannia video club purchase um 
I'm pretty sure the video case had some form of foiling on it, which is always a nice one. That always stands out in the collection. Nice bit of foil. Did anyone there. have the DVD um, with the, the steelbook DVD that goes rusty after a few years? Yes. I had that. <laughs> that's, right. that's cool. Um, so yeah, I, I used to love it. I remember when you mentioned like the um, video game thing, do you guys remember when you used to be able to buy like these kind of hardwired like proprietary video games where there was only one game on it? You bought the game and it was branded with like stickers of whatever like a handheld the property thing. happened to be. Yes. Yeah, exactly that. And it's just that one game. I remember I had a, a Star Trek one and I had this. I don't remember anything about it other than that it smelled like cheap plastic. Mm. And that because it was like a proprietary game, it was literally just the same thing over and over and over. It's literally one level. But uh, I loved it. I used to carry that around with me everywhere. So, um, yeah, I was on board with Terminator 2 from like, pre, I would say, late 91, early 92, whenever it finally came out on video. Mm. Uh, but it had been a... Um, it's a film that I know extremely well back to front, but it's another one of those films that when, like you're saying, Matt, when you get to rewatch it and you get to see it in better and better quality, it's like you get to see the film again. Yeah. You know, I mean, finally seen it on the cinema screen and stuff. It's like, uh, uh, it, it, it's just, you know. Oh, you saw it at the Arnie all nighter, did you? The three of you? We did. Yeah. 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 It was very late, but, um, <laughs> it was the last yeah. film of a seven film night, wasn't it? Galley was this one that you had back on the video days or the early Sky days? Where where was your? Oh, you know me too well. It's early Sky. I mean, similar to similar to your dad. My my dad was again not not particularly um, all over what was and was not um, suitable. But interesting though, <laughs> with Terminator Two, I would say probably the most accessible. I mean, I think in America it was an R-rated movie. I think here it 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 went down. I'm sure it kind of came out as an 18. It was 15 when I knew it, but maybe it came down. Yeah, yeah. I think it came down. But one of the th- you know we're, we're going to discuss it is one of the things is that the movie does soften from the first film. The first if you want to break out of a mental institution, it, it is a good go-to guide. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And uh, also, if you just really despise somebody who's um, who's got uh, a bit of a lever on you, then uh, the way that Sarah goes for Silverman is exactly how I do it. Um, you know, <laughs> straight for the throat. But anyway, model citizen. Hey. Yeah, this one seen so many times. But you're right about these new iterations. And the only thing that you can't get back is that first watch. Mm. Don't know what to expect. Oh, did anyone uh, know if he was a goodie or a baddie? Did anyone? Not when I first watched it. No. Wow. So you got the real true experience but i remember I, I must not have woken up when i was saying about my first experiences i just recalled when you guys were talking there do you remember the toys i remember the adverts yeah, yeah. for the yeah. toys and the fake skin that goes yeah, yeah. over the I... t800 and i was mad for that when i was younger i never got it they took a lot of liberties with those toys didn't they They didn't look anything like yeah they them. did they had, they had like lava terminators and stuff like that but... but there was one that the chest would pop off like with battle damage kind of thing that i had and i loved that and just saying about like experiencing this film differently over the years i remember getting really excited when i hadn't seen the director's cuts at about i don't know it must be an early 20s mm. and oh my god there's seven minutes new, I, I don't know how much it is like wow and th- th- finding all that fascinating and that was quite of a buzz in my house as well we all really wanted to watch like what was new and see all the new effects and stuff that was really cool Shall we, shall we just for, for the listeners, um, 
qualify which version we're going to stick mm-hmm. close to. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, as far as as far as what I I've seen in preparation for this chat, um, it was on. Uh, it was on Sky. It's on Sky at the minute, and it's playing, and it's the special edition. That's Sky, yes. also known as yeah. the director's cut DC, I think. Director's cut. So you've got. Let me let me just go through this. You've got the Kyle Reese scene with yeah. Sarah. On your feet, discuss, soldier. Yeah, which we mm-hmm. can discuss. Where's our a, son? As a callback to the first film, there's uh, more in the Dyson household. Yes, there's more. There's more. Um, more Dyson. A little bit more um, character for him and his family. And also at the end, when the when the T1000 reforms, certainly the big thing that I remember is that you see that he's not quite. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. optimal. Yeah. The hazard lines go through him. The metal girders. He, he, when he merges when he, with the. His hand with is the, really cool. Yeah, yeah, which which for some people who are into like full blown kind of nitpick plot hole stuff, I think qualifies when he's imitating Sarah. Well, when he asks Sarah to call for John, it's like, well, why would you need to? You can, you can just mm. be Sarah. But if you've seen, if you haven't seen those additional scenes that were taken out for the theatrical where he's malfunctioning, mm. then you wouldn't know that his mo. You know. He's probably thinking, I'm not going to be passable as Sarah, which he isn't in that version. Yeah, feet go funny. Stuck to the grave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's the, the, the big one is the, uh, the, the chip, the chip switch. Yes. The chip flip. I like it. I like that scene. Mm. It's very cleverly covered. They're using Linda Hamilton's twin in the, it's yeah. a fake mirror. It's like that last, the pain the shot. No, that's not in the theatrical. That's the director's cut. I thought it was. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's weird how like the. But I you know, remember you, that from yeah. very early on. I thought that was before. Mm, okay. So I think the the special edition does that came out not long after, right? That was. It's possible that that was some people's like VHS copy that they had. I don't think that it was like the mm. Alien special editions, for example, was so far down the line. I think that. This version, special edition, came out not long. Yeah, I think it was on VHS, but I didn't see it until DVD for mm. some reason. I don't know why, but I think it was out on on VHS. A bit like Aliens, the same kind of thing. This is one of the reasons why we we quite like James Cameron, don't we? Because he he looks at the details, thinks, okay, I need to explain that, but he could just explain it away. Which is in the theatrical, I'm a learning computer. Uh, the more I interact, I learn. No need to do the switch, but it's in a it's a hell of a scene, regardless. Um, the timeline here, uh, uh, looking at the ever trusty IMDb, <laughs> um, uh, trivia, uh, says that when the show, when the film was, was shown on BBC One in 1994, they broadcast the 1993 special edition. Right. Oh, but that must edited, be what I watched. But then cut it back down to get rid of some excessive violence and use of the word fuck. Uh, there's one other thing that's present in the ultimate cut, I think it's called. Uh, which is the longest, longest, longest version of it. Um, the, the two things I noticed were the, the T-1000 looking around John's room, touching everything. When he finds the photos. Yeah, that's only in the the longest version available. And that also has the uh, the coda with Sarah in the old lady makeup and Senator yeah. Senator John um, on, the, uh, on the swing set. Not on the swing set. I got them. Um, they're in the – some special – I bought this on iTunes, and you get special features and extras, and they're the two deleted scenes that you get with it. So, in your best Linda Hamilton voice, Patrick. Oh, God. 
<laughs> please bluntly and directly and emotionlessly explain the plot to Terminator 2 Judgment Day. The first Terminator was programmed to strike at Sarah in the year 1984 before John was born. It failed. The second was set to strike at John himself when he was still a child as before the Resistance was able to send a lone warrior, a protector for John. It's just a question of which one of them would reach John first. Now, in 1995, Sarah is incarcerated at the Pescadoro State Hospital, believed to have become more and more disconnected with reality, diagnosed by Dr. Silberman, as she warns of Judgment Day. Anyone not wearing one million sunblock is going to have a really bad day, as she learned in 1984. John now lives with his foster parents, Janelle and Todd, Riding his motorbike to arcades and stealing money, a skill Sarah taught him. Meanwhile, a similar machine, the T-800 Model 101, appears near a biker bar, causes a ruckus and takes a man's clothes, boots and motorcycle. Similarly, a new machine, a memetic polyalloy T-1000, appears downtown and duly takes care of a police officer and assumes their uniform. Both start their hunt for John Connor. But which is Protector and which is the Terminator? The T-800 and T-1000 face off in a mall as they converge on John, who flees on his bike amidst their fight. The T-1000 takes chase in a lorry while the T-800 is behind but saves John just in time. The T-1000 crashing and blowing up, revealing its liquid metal advanced form, will be a lot harder to destroy. John and the T-800 go on the run, but as one of the Protector's instructions is to honour John's commands is ordered to go and get Sarah Connor from the hospital, despite not being a mission priority. The T-1000's highest probability of success now would be to copy Sarah and wait for John to make contact. But they do, and save Sarah during her own escape as she discovered the T-800 is back. Relentlessly, the T-1000 pursues them again, injuring Sarah in the chase. John and the T-800 start to connect. The T-800 learning from John how to smile and how not to sound like a dog all the time. While John inadvertently now is a father figure, which Sarah starts to observe too. Sarah asks for details of Skynet to better understand who is responsible for Judgment Day and learns of Miles Dyson. Taking fate into her own hands, she sets off to kill Miles in the hope of rewriting the future. Conscientious John takes the T-800 to stop Sarah. Another dangerous move, considering the T-1000 has the same information. Sarah wounds Miles, who has been working hard on the remains of the microchip and arm from the T-800 in 1984, but she cannot pull the final trigger. Her and the T-800 educate Miles instead, and move to Skynet offices to destroy everything. Police are alerted as two as the T-1000, and a war zone ensues as Miles is killed as Skynet is blown up. The battle draws to an end at a steel mill. The heat compromising the T-1000's form, but still betters the T-800 as the advanced model. It owns in on John and Sarah. Can the T-800 complete its mission? In the end, he knows now why John cries. The luxury of hope was given to Sarah by the Terminator because a machine can learn the value of human life. Maybe we can too. Let me just grab a tissue. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting how you used uh, Linda Hamilton's... uh, voiceover narration to really set set the, the plates onto yeah. the table because voiceover for many many film school tutors is is some seen as a as a dirty word a lazy tool for exposition in order to kind of set up a story but interestingly in terminator the terminator it was a scroll 
a la Star Wars. This time we have Linda Hamilton. And I would suggest pretty effective. I don't think you can set it up as well without a voiceover for the prologue. I think one of the questions would be, do we need it so much later on? That the one for me that could go is there's one, I think you could just cut straight to them walking into Cyberdyne through the car park. There's, there's a voiceover just before they sort of go converge on it as a family. Oh, which says, um, we're in dark territory now that they don't, they're writing their own future. Yes. And I think it's because that the end was originally going to be old Sarah in the makeup and everything. And he eventually went to the road with the yellow lines and the voiceover at the end of the film. So kind of a voiceover bookend I'm, I'm quite keen on. And I don't, I don't think he uses it as a storytelling crutch. I think it's more of a, a flourish to sort of develop the character of Sarah and it puts us more in her mindset, which I enjoy. I agree, Matt. I also probably feel like despite the Arnold Schwarzenegger of it all, it, it means that she's either equal as far as whose story this is but obviously as an audience member in 91 i mean this is an arnold schwarzenegger movie but linda hamilton versus arnold schwarzenegger in star wattage is uh that's not really comparable is it so is it a way of also making sure that it's it's sarah's story really watching john with the machine it was suddenly so clear the terminator would never stop it would never leave him and it would never hurt him, never shout at him or get drunk and hit him or say it was too busy to spend time with him. It would always be there and it would die to protect him. Of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years, this thing, this machine, was the only one who measured up. In an insane world, it was the sanest choice. But it's own, it's all leading to a last statement, isn't it? It's, it's all the distrust. It's all there because of the distrust she had because of 1984. And then the last statement, you know, she says, if a machine can learn, maybe the humans can as well. And the flashback to the nuclear war. So I, I do get it. And it's, I find it quite interesting to listen to. And it, it's very poignant of, of her because she, I suppose she doesn't say a lot outwardly in the film that's not business. You know, even to her son, it's like, are you okay? Give me some money and all of that. So it, it's nice to see a more human side to her, even if it is a, a, her own in a monologue, because that's not what the world sees of her. No, I yeah. think, I think you're absolutely right, which is one of the reasons why I think the, you know, the Carl Reese callback scene yeah. is not necessary. Yeah. The whole point of that scene is to have him emphasize to her how important it is that she protects John. But we, she's doing that already. She's, she's preparing herself. She's trying to think of a way to get out. It's, um, it also, it softens her too early in her arc. I think what, like, I actually really like the scene. I just think that, um, she has to be, you know, that kind of, she is the machine at that point, you know, doing the chin ups, the, uh, the amazing, um, interrogation for want of a better word scene where she's having to watch herself freak out on video and then mask all of that with that facade of i'm feeling better now kind of stuff like everything that she's doing is purposeful and the dream kind of shows the you know it's the softer i can't do this sarah from the first film so i understand why they shot it i actually really like the scene but i think that you know in in the arc for her it's it's too early i think that's a good point i agree with that the voiceover in the the middle part not the bookends 
because I think you're right, Matt, but the, the stuff in the, in the middle part of the movie where she kind of comes in and out is that it does expose not a weakness, but probably the thing that James Cameron, you can label that is his dialogue can sometimes, sometimes be a touch on the nose. And that's what I mean by the way that they're interacting, John and the Terminator. You've got it. We've also, we've had like an hour of them kind of having the, here's a boy with, with his Terminator. So we, we kind of already have got that they're starting <laughs> mm. to build up this, this kind of father son pseudo relationship. But I'm saying, you know, all the would be fathers, we hear John saying, you know, like we bounced around here and there and everything. And it, I think it just hammers home that she is protecting him first and foremost of everything. So it is a good narrative point that, that gets them on. That line of dialogue from John. Again, as a kid, I'm just like, yeah, throwaway line about, um, yeah, yeah, she's, she's shacked up with a few blokes. But actually, if you start to like dig into the reality of that, <laughs> then you think, my God, it's one of the things that I yeah. absolutely yeah. adore about this movie is because of the uh, contractual or legal issues between Terminator and Terminator 2, there was the seven year gap. That seven year gap, there's no need to have the movie that's like, let's have a look at what Sarah was up to between Terminator 1 and 2. Yeah. The, mm. the jumping off point for this movie, is so consistent with what we were told at the end of, well, what we were told in the first Terminator, which is, yeah, you're going to be the Virgin Mary character. You have literally have the knowledge of the destruction of the world. Yeah, I would also probably struggle under the weight of, <laughs> of that. But mm. the way that she trains John then feeds into the fact that everything becomes really natural and organic in the movie when we get into Arnie, Sarah, and I don't, I'm going to keep calling him on even though. <laughs> Just a note on Patrick's comment there about um, the absent fathers and whether the Sarah's voice over there is, is worth including or not. Like the moment that made you cry, I think, and probably the same one that made me cry was the him saying goodbye to him at the end. So you have to build, oh. you have to build that up and a little bit of yeah. literal, not, um, you know, plainly stated backstory about how many fa father figures there's been and how he's been beaten and how he's been abandoned and let down that all builds to that final bit that, that re is really moving so maybe it is worth look at how he behaves with t uh, todd and janelle she's not my mother todd and he's this bart simpson brat character at the beginning one of my favorite scenes in retrospect i thought it was theatrical but it's not is taking the chip out because I remember watching that the first time and I knew I was emotionally involved because I didn't want the chip to be destroyed and I didn't want to lose Arnie from the film, you know, and... Uh, but we also understand why Sarah's doing it too, because of what of she's course. been through in the yeah. first. She's not going to deal with another one of these things going haywire. But you understand that you're emotionally involved there that, you know, like, oh my God, no, I don't want that to happen. And then that builds further into the end. That, that's a good point for um, for John and uh, for Edward Furlong's performance there that you mentioned where he learns that his mum was right. All, all these things that he hasn't paid any attention to, she's a nutcase, she's been locked away. He says, I uh, hated her for that. Yeah, but in that moment, he knows that it's evidence that um, everything she said was true and he has to flip. And that's when he becomes the the, the first sort of taste of the leader that he would eventually become. Yeah, con convincing Sarah not to smash the chip by literally putting himself directly yeah. underneath an enormous fucking hammer. And it's like, I was watching that back like, uh, uh, last week and it's like, she gets really she close to well. smacking yeah, the hands. It's, uh, yeah, it's it, going back to watch the theatrical, which the thing is, 
you don't really miss it because the the theatrical is so sleek and so well put together and so propulsive but it's only that when you go back and watch the or or even you finish watching the theatrical cut and then like you were saying patrick like you what you wonder why things aren't there that you thought were there in your own head and so it's um it's that's that's probably the only omission where i think that it it does maybe rob a couple of characters of a, of a nice character beat it John. not him it okay it but we need it listen to me listen we are better off on our own but he's the only proof we have of the future and the war and all that maybe I don't trust it. But he's my friend, all right? You don't know what it's like to try to kill one of these things. And if something goes wrong, this could be our last chance to look! Look, Mom, I'm never supposed to be this great military leader. Maybe you should start listening to my leadership ideas once in a while. So my own mother won't. How do you expect anyone else to? Can we talk about the mastery of character introductions and... Visual storytelling and James Cameron's helm of visual grammar. Because for me, again, this movie, I think the reason why my dad used to like it, and I've spoken about this before, is his English is not particularly great. So films like this by filmmakers who know how to tell a story visually are like absolutely his jam, which then meant they were my jam because he would watch the films that he could watch. Uh, and this film is a great example of it. I think you can watch this on mute and you pretty much get everything right i mean you don't actually you'd understand it yeah you'd follow it this time when i was watching it like obviously i'm aware of t1000 mm. and the t800 and what they can do and their little battles but if you watch it as if you've never seen the film before the way that they part out the information is just wonderful everything's told visually everything's set up and then everything is paid off which is why i think this film is so bloody satisfying it's like a satisfaction machine because the, the first one we know quite well and then by the time you see the second one it's the the arrivals again but it's everything's subverted you don't know who's mm. who and because uh, i mean i knew arnie was the goody but some of you didn't and most people didn't but also look at the approaches it tells you everything you need to know about the terminators right so arnie t800 big bulky older model goes in i need to close your boots your motorcycle and mm -hmm. fucking smashes up the joint Robert Patrick's T1000, yeah. sleek. He's the infiltrator. It's a it's a sequel, but it's kind of a remake. So you see yeah. all these echoes. So instead of a telephone directory, he's got a cop car. Uh, you know, little things like that. It's, it's all... all throughout, isn't it? Did it remind you of um, Evil Dead 2 a little bit in the sense that... I think you mentioned it in the first podcast on The Terminator, how it's it's kind of a redo. It's like if you had more money and more time... This is the film that he wanted to yeah, do the first yeah. time around. And a couple, I, I noted down a couple of echoes. There's like, um, there's the, obviously the car chase in, in, uh, the Terminator, which is very similar. The arrivals are the same, but twisted, uh, breaking out of the police station just before Arnie arrives in the original is a bit like escaping Pescadero. Um, and, and exp explaining on the run, you know, like the, um, exposition on the run. Uh, Sarah's mother's voice is the same as the foster parents' voice. Like he, he takes on Sarah's mum's voice and we know he can do that. 
Um, there's, there's dogs dying in both. <laughs> Kill yeah. dogs. But both. even even Matt, when you were talking about um, Sarah's interrogation scene. Mm. Very similar to Kyle's, right? When she was watching Kyle, and he that's and the a freeze big one, frame. Yeah. yeah, it's the same. Yeah. It's yeah. the same. And oh, but again, but it's the same. But the difference is enough that we either don't recognize it at the time, or when we do recognize it, we go, "Ha!" Ah. But it, it just feels so fresh. It feels so fresh compared to the first. But there's fun stuff as well, like "Get Out." You remember in the first one where he goes, "Get Out," and he's got half yeah, his yeah. face missing. The the T1000 says the same thing. Um, it's, I always wonder what happened to the helicopter man. I wonder. I hope he landed in a tree and not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was pretty. It was pretty. Uh, it was pretty low. You could see that uh, it was hovering quite low. I he landed I... on a car, did an army roll. <laughs> yeah, the army roll. <laughs> did you ever think about all these guys that see the Terminators? And then they become like these conspiracy nuts in the future. Like yeah. I saw a cyborg oh, yeah. once. Surely they become so like the guy yeah. that has to in the gardening truck that has to do a leap out of the out of the way. Yeah, like he, he's seen like a guy with half a face, like with metal and <laughs> and all the SWAT guys that tried to kill this thing that wouldn't yeah. die. What became of them? No. By the way, um, early Alan Rook, who it is. Did anyone know who the lead SWAT guy was? Come on. Officer Schrader. Schrader Brow. Recognized. Yeah. It was in Starship Troopers as well, wasn't it? He? he is, yeah. Um, it wouldn't be legal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice early Alan Rook, who it is, uh, award there for, for Dean Norris. Friend of the show from the Lawnmower Man. What about Todd? Todd Zander Berkeley, or friend of the show, actually. Friend of the show, yeah. Speaking of, again, visual grammar, the foster parents, you never see them as a unit. On like in composition. Oh yeah, go on and explain that, Gally, because I thought that was an excellent point. This is what we call shorthand, right? Visual shorthand. You've got very, very little time to set up the fact that the foster parents and John. We know from just a line of dialogue that John's been in trouble before, because when the T1000 turns up, it's a uh, what's he, he done, done this this time, officer? Um, we know that there's obviously a fractious relationship because he hasn't cleaned his room in a month. Um, <laughs> but visually, again, if you press mute. You never see John, Todd, and what's Janelle. Janelle. Janelle in the same frame. They're never a unit on screen. And uh, it reminded me a little bit of when in James Cameron's commentary in Aliens, he made a big deal about when Hicks rescues Ripley and Newt and they have a one shot where they're all hugging. Mm. And he called that the family shot. Yeah. And in this film, that family unit is connected in the car. And they're working together and they're uh, communicating effectively. Immediately, you know, right, here's your, here's your new nuclear family. Well, it's not even new, is it? It's just everyone's Mm. now fitting in the role. And it was just one of those things when you're watching it and you go, God, it's really smart. There was a strange detail that always bothers me. Why is the T-1000 chopping green onions before uh, (laughs) uh, knifing Todd through the face? But like she was literally going to make that stew. She was actually in a tree. Why did Todd go? You never fucking can. <laughs> but even, even like a little detail, and these are the little details that make Terminator 2 so great, hmm. is the T1000 hasn't, it like, it admires the fact that it just did the thing with Todd. It like has a look at its arm yeah. and kind of goes, yeah. cool. It's almost like a, I didn't realize, well, not I didn't realize I could do that, but wow, hmm. that was something. It's like just a moment again, and it's all personality. That was the reason why I was talking about the introductions, is that you get a sense of each, you know their skills, you know their threat levels, and you know their approach. What about when the T-1000 says, um, good looking boy? Yeah. Robert Patrick 
does not get does he get enough credit he probably does this is his most famous role most people if they saw robert patrick would do the terminator run i would i'd run away um but well probably beat him (laughs) (laughs) would would pay to see that if you're listening robert just tweet us and we'll We'll arrange one. The good looking boy is like my favorite line. Well, that feels like somehow that's in the programming that he's trying to get Mm, the information. So he's complimentary. Like he's not quite right. There's something like we talked about Ripley and alien resurrection when she's not quite right. And who was the other example we used in the chat? Um, well, species, isn't it? Species. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, When she's, she's trying to function as a human but she doesn't quite have all the information but no no they don't I mean, even sigourney doesn't get near robert patrick in this he's his performance is it it really makes the well it makes the villain it makes him such a memorable villain yeah because he because the threat is there and the fact that you know the dramatic irony that he's in a cop uniform is just mm. amazing uh, yeah. yeah it's just great though right because mm-hmm. you would trust yeah. you would trust him straight away from uniform from who, who he represents, maybe not in 91, we can discuss that, um, but not in LA, but you can't trust him. And it's, you know, Jim Cameron hates authority. Another, yeah. another dig. <laughs> and, but it also, it, it makes sense why this, why this character, it, it's, it's the most incredible infiltration because that uniform and that badge basically means that you get free reign to walk through a society without anyone ever questioning why you are anywhere. Mm-hmm. you know access to all the information and and all a bit in the galleria where the kids just do exactly what he asks like pointing down like he's a cop he's a he's a man with authority and what were you referring gally to the the infamous um uh, uh fact that the rodney king assault uh was actually captured accidentally because a man was trying to film the set of terminator 2 it's incredible yeah. isn't it that? Yeah. It's, yeah. it's actually like i i we're not obviously big trivia nuts, but that's the kind of thing where you go, wow, this film wasn't only just like a pop culture sensation. It also exposed systemic racism in the LAPD. Mm. Wow. Uh, yeah. there's your reward. In, in, a, in a film that subverts the trustworthiness of the police. Are you the legal guardian of John Connor? That's right, officer. What's he done now? Could I speak with him, please? Could if you were here. He took off on his bike this morning so he could be anywhere. Do you have a photograph of John? Yeah, sure. Hold on. You gonna tell me what this is about? I just need to ask him a few questions. He's a good-looking boy. Do you mind if I keep this picture? No, go on. By the way, I like the detail there of the... You know, you know they come down in like a spherical thing that just cuts through everything. In the first one, I thought a similar thing happened, but it, I guess it just does it with the concrete on the ground. Maybe when... I don't think it does on Kyle, but in the, in the second one, it kind of cuts through the, is it a truck? Yeah. And the fence. And it's exactly. got the, the, the kind of glowing edge, which dims throughout the scene. It's so Because people always good. talk about it's what if you teleport or if you go back in time and then something's there, like in Back to the Future 3, where yeah, Doc yeah. takes him out into the, into the middle of nowhere. There's the Native Americans painted on the, on the wall. Like when, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. when I crash, when I crash into those people, it's like, you're not thinking fourth dimension. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know we're not even getting into the meat of the movie, but I'm just going to go with the future war intro stuff as well. Oh yeah. I could watch two hours of that. Fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give me more. But the vision of the future is like a comic book strip vision. Like mm. that's not how you mm. fight wars where just shitloads of chaos is going on. But for what we need, it's like yeah. the perfect vision. It's the same with like the John Connor. Doesn't say anything. Got a scar on his face. 
looks quite pensive and stoic, mm. looks left to right. I don't need, he's Jesus yeah. Christ. We don't need to know yeah. anything else other than he's the leader of the resistance. Yes. If you interrogate it, once you start actually getting into the meat of how you would fight a war against AI robots and drones, it's like, it's dumb inherently, uh, but also depressing and near impossible. So yeah, what you need is that's like, that's one of those amazing times when, uh, uh, Cameron brings back a little bit of his Corman days. It's like, be careful what you wish for, because I, I think I'd like to watch that film, but really I don't. Like, and I know Devlin, you're, a, you're a fan but of. But isn't the, that what, that, isn't that what they tried to do with Salvation? I guess so, but they'd also tried to do it with something else, right, Dev? That you uh, experienced with the, is it, is it a ride? What's that ride called? Oh, over in Universal Studios. Yeah, yeah. Because that, that's all uh, yeah, future so the, stuff with John and it Arnie, is. right? It is. Uh, and that was, I mean, that was fantastic. I, I went on that a couple of times when I was a kid. And, um, is it Battle Across it, Time? Yeah. Is that what it's called? I, Devs? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's great, but I, you know, the, the sell on that is, is just that it's like this silly over the top immersive experience. A guy literally goes tearing down the middle of the eight of the theater on a motorbike, <laughs> an actual motorbike drives through in between you. And then he crests over a little ramp disappears and then it transitions they've timed it so that the guy on the motorbike you get a Sarah becomes Connor and you get a John Arnie. Connor as well yeah yeah and there's, and there's like actual yeah yeah there's actual um robot uh T800 yeah. um skeletons either side of the of the oh, stage so there's good. actual lasers going off when they blow up um so Robert Patrick's back yeah. Uh, as the T-1000 and they, they freeze him and blow him up again. Except that's for this one, that's the ending. And they, they use, they, I think they record Linda Hamilton speaking to the camera when you're in the queue. Like, you've gotta, you gotta get in and get out and stuff like that. And I think you can watch on YouTube the short, the film, cause it is a. Yeah, it's in the playlist this week. We'll film. put it in the. On the, on the site. Uh, we watched, I watched a bit of it when you shared it, Matt. And of course, you know, it's, uh, um, it's pretty hammy. It's, um, it's a bit silly, but it works when you're in a, when you're in a theater on a seat that's moving. And when they blow up the T1000, they spray mist at you. But to, it's 3D uh, as well, Dev, right? Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Have some new 3D technology, does. like some flying, uh, I don't know what to call them, flying little drones, right? Little drone things. Yeah. Yeah. It's super fun, but it's the sort of thing where, yeah, it, it's a little 15 minute ride or whatever. Like it's short bursts of this kind of thing are, are going to be amazing, but I, I don't know that I've ever seen like a full blown sci-fi shoot 'em up extravaganza of lasers and robots that wasn't a bit of a drag. In recent history, Star Wars, they mm. talked about the Clone War. Mm. Then you saw it and you went, oh. Devlin, they've um, replaced that ride with a, the James Bourne stuntacular now. <laughs> um, that's, they've, they've robbed us. They've robbed us in future generations of a, of a real fucking classic there. But, uh, just going to Salvation, I will say that I, I rewatched it. It's not very good. Um, it's, it's a, it's a drag. It's a real dirge to get through. The only reason why it stands out to me as the least worst of the sequels is that it at least has the good grace to just get out of the fucking way. Just exist on its own over I there. Carl Reese this... is quite good. Anton Yelchin. Uh, yeah, I like Anton Yelchin. Yeah. And I was, uh, I felt like we'd all been a bit mean as a culture 
uh, to Sam Worthington because he seemed to come out of nowhere and get these massive gigs and he seemed like a boring man. Like you couldn't place his face. He just had a kind of fleshy disc, but, um, he, he kind of stat, he, they gave him terrible dialogue and a terrible character and he did the best he could with it. He's fine. It's fine. I, I, you hated it when it came out, Gally. I did. Yeah. You bought, I, I, you bought I have... it on DVD and brought it to my house to make me watch it. Because <laughs> he hated it so much. I've softened on it. But I, what I would say is I think <laughs> the, the addition of Bale as a serious actor meant that tonally the film could never be silly, even though it is silly. And, and it suffers from the thing that I'm saying, which is that John Connor is supposed to be this kind of iconic mythical figure. The moment you start showing who it is, who their, their flaws, then all of a sudden, it, you know, you don't want to get overly into religion, but like people have got an idea hmm. of what don't uh, demythologize a, it. A, a Christ figure is, and in the moment you show those flaws, it's one of the reasons why people always kick off when when um, when you depict Jesus on film is because it's like, well, you've got to make him kind of human, which is you know supposed to be what it what he is, but we don't want to see ourselves reflected in this like one person who's supposed to you know give us divine salvation. So it's the same thing with John Connor. I mean, I know I might be being hyperbolic, but it's the no, same no. type of thing. But that's the smart thing here then, isn't it? We're, we're watching him before all of that. Yeah. And there's enough distance. He's a child. So mm. you know, we all remember yeah. what we were like as children. I would like to think that I've moved on slightly, still got the same dick jokes, but <laughs> yeah, I think, um, I think it's a smart move. I just wanted to just discuss those, that, that kind of future war introduction mm. setup. Oh, I love it. It is so good to watch. Because we've all been to film school. Obviously, there's an assumption that we will probably never work with A-list stars. But the thing that they never teach you is how to weaponize a star persona. And James Cameron knew how to weaponize Arnie. And Arnie probably knew how to weaponize Arnie as well. Because this is yeah. a different Arnold Schwarzenegger to the one that was introduced in The Terminator. So in that bar scene, when he's not killing people, and we don't really question it because someone does get stabbed in the shoulder. Someone does get chucked out the window, but we don't know if he's dead. We don't know who's the bad, who the bad Terminator is, but we do know that Arnold is in a different space. And if, how would we feel if we saw him outright killing people? And James Cameron, I think, knew that, that he couldn't do it in order to get to where we need to get to at the end of the movie. At the end, he also gets a sick guitar riff to introduce him. So it's fairly apparent that they are building him up as he gets a sick guitar riff and a feat to face uh, um, till up, close up. Yeah. De Devlin and I had a, a teacher called Andrew Willoughby who did a, a course, uh, an A-level film. Uh, it was mostly theory. There was no no practical stuff. But um, he did a kind of a module on expectations of, of actors and stars. And I don't know if you did it exactly the way we did, Dev, but uh, we looked at Clint Eastwood and Unforgiven and the way that that's played and everything is subverted there in, in a in a similar way, like he can't get on a horse. Like when have you ever seen Clint Eastwood fail to look cool and, and get on a horse and he, he can't hit his targets when he's shooting. And, uh, this is like, it's flipped in a, in a similar way. We're expecting him to be in, in a simplistic way. We're expecting him to be the baddie and he's not. So, um, and we're, we're actually, I was actually really happy that he was the good guy because this was the era where I was super into Arnie. But even, even Matt getting into his costume. So in the first film, there's like, story reasons why he's wearing sunglasses and puts mm -hmm. on the you know 
uh, his hair goes spiky. Oh, right. He's hiding his eye wound in the first one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In this film, he's just like, I want to look like a, like a biker and I want no sunglasses. But we don't question it. That's the thing. It's like, I think Cameron's smart enough to know that the audience and the tone of the film is going to be very, very different, but he doesn't hold back with the T1000, but he's able to navigate that space because I think in Terminator 3, they try and do that thing again where he, and he gets this time he goes into like a strip tease joint and puts on Elton John glasses. It's ladies night strip tease. Talk to the hand. Uh. It's a real, real groaner. And I think it's because you only get a chance to do this once. Mm-hmm. You can't do it again. You can't subvert what was already a subversion. And that's Terminator 3's problem is that it doesn't have anything new to say. It's just doing the exact same thing. In Terminator 2, he's already... Arnold is like... I think Arnold's greatest project is Arnold's. Like, all the biggest stars, they spend their time... Like, the work is the work, but it's like, you know, Will Smith, they always say that even when he was back on Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, that man knew how he was going to become a megastar. He had, like, I need to do this film. And, like, Men in Black, he was, like, he looked at what was a box office trend, and he was, like, that's where I need to be in exactly this space. And Arnold just has the same thing. It's, it's um, we talked, I think, probably on Predator about how short Arnie's reign at the total top of the castle really was right like 84 he's still a bit of a sideshow attraction he's the muscular freak who can only say three lines of dialogue by 86 87 he's getting to like you know that's when he hits leading man status probably around predator so by 91 he's kind of he's peaked like he sees the writing on the wall for that kind of action film he can't do commando again he was already kind of in practice he'd done Mm. twins Yes. Kindergarten yeah. cop. Which is the same thing. That's same the, year. uh, he, he starts off shotgun blasting people and then suddenly he's teaching, uh, he's teaching little kids. Like you, you were very generous. You said that he, he went until Eraser. I, I think Gally on the last one, you said his swan song was true lies, which is probably accurate mm. in terms of just the scale yeah. of the film, whether you like that one or not. It didn't have as much cultural resonance as Terminator 2, but it's probably the last one where. Big payday, big, big hit. payday, big Cameron hit. again. Yeah, everyone saw yeah. it, but it didn't. It didn't have that lingering effect that Terminator Two did. But I wrote down like he's he's outmatched. He's the underdog, which again goes contrary to what we had seen him in as as kind of what he looks like. And th- this film does the same thing. And the way that they do it is just amazing choreography and great physical acting because Robert Patrick is not going to be... Yeah, it's great casting as uh, Robert Patrick, isn't it? You know, he's so lean and so square-jawed and, you know, cut mm. that it's, like you said, Gully, you don't... It looks mismatch. But the, the, the perfect shot is when they both grab the shotgun in the mall corridor. Yeah. And they have a moment where, like, and I think uh, Arnie looks at the gun, looks at the strength. They've never dealt with it. He has a, a quick take moment like, oh, shit, this guy's strong. And that's mm. it's brilliant. Little That little moment is like, uh, visual storytelling. It's all you need to know. It's made his match. This is going to be an interesting fight. Did you know that they were originally going to do two Arnolds? That was the first idea. Oh. Yeah. Um, but they couldn't find a way to make it work, I don't. I don't, think. I don't think you would make it work though. No. It wouldn't be dramatically, um, exciting to watch. I mean, again, one of the, one of the things is we need to, we need to make him the underdog and make him outmatch. Even in the film, like just his 
vehicle choices they're always the they're always the not as good vehicle as the t1000 <laughs> so it's just yeah. like every time he's outmatched the, the, the terminator I was, I was thinking like how to compare the two the, there's the relentless chase the terminator that is slow matt you know the and kind of i don't know just really imposing especially at the end it's like a romero zombie type rule yeah it'll get you eventually and here you've got robert patrick running at you and it's just constant with the music, the chase music, the feed all stuff is... Um, the music's really much better in the second. The first one's very... It's very... But, you know, it works, but I think it's more elaborate and effective the second yeah, one. Yeah. Very 8-bit dot, isn't it, yeah, uh, yeah. in the first one? Um, well, let's... Can I talk about... I know we're not we normally do favourite scenes later, but I think this will bring everyone together, which is what it actually does. It's my It's my favourite scene, but it's also a great set piece. From start to finish, but it's not, uh, you know, the chase down the LA river is wicked. I'm not going to deny. Um, but the mental institute, all our characters meet and we've got Dr. Silverman. We've got the T, T800, T1000, Sarah Connor, John Connor. That convergence is just like, this is what, this is what it's all about. This is what filmmaking is all about. We've got all, cause the way that James Cameron's screenplay is structured, it's like everyone's got their little story. And we go through the different threads and they all converge. What's the timestamp on it, Devs? Is it around 40 minutes? Sarah begins her escape at the 45-ish minute mark. And the whole thing ends, the, the whole, they're in the cop car at about one hour. Um, so the, it's a 15 minute long sequence from start to finish. And it, you can tell because it really does take its time. So that's 15 minutes long. And what were you, you would say that was what? The end of act one? Yeah. And it sets you up for, for hour two because it basically splits the thing in half. So, um, but the, the action sequences in this film are like amazing, aren't they? Cause one of my favorite scenes is the, the motorbike chase and the waterways. You like that? You, that's that's your favorite action sequence. I think so. But then you got the helicopter chase at the end, which is phenomenal. And you've got the prison, uh, the, um, the state hospital escape. It's all. How do you pick? I don't know. You get a satisfying ending within scenes for things that have been set up and paid off. And it just, you're just constantly getting paid off. So Silverman, Sarah conflict. He's, he's always disbelieved the T1000 morphs through, drops the fucking. That great uh, shot where he drops yeah, the tank. It's just a great shot. Yeah. And, and then you're like, yep, that, that, that has been not resolved, but she's going to escape. And he knows that she was right the whole time. And he was a real bastard. Some great stunts, you know, like. Crashing the guy through the window, launching the yeah. dude into the window, into the, <laughs> yeah. the, the other window. But great effects. Um, Robert Patrick coming through the bars and then held by the gun. Great, great visual story. The, the commentary was good there. Jim, there. Jim said he shot all that himself on, uh, it, they call it a pogo. It's like a steady cam, but it sort of rocks about a bit more, yeah. gives it a bit more energy. And he shot all of that really quickly and operated himself. Um, I, I was trying to pick my favorites, but. It made me think about my other favorite action film, which is Raiders of the Lost Ark, which has a very similar chain of set pieces at the end. Uh, like in Raiders, you've got them escaping from the well of souls and then they smash that big totem pole thing through. And then Indy has to fight the Nazi fella and then the plane explodes yeah. and then he's on horseback mm. and then there's a truck chase mm. and oh. there's like three back to back there. And this is the only thing I can think of that rivals it. And it's the Cyberdyne shootout escape yeah. into the armored SWAT van. Then there's a helicopter and it's all practical. 
and you've got all those squibs going off in in the roof and then there's a cryoco truck chase bit and then the foundry it's all it, they're all back to back and it's all i've never seen anything do it as well raiders and t2 are the only two i've seen do it to that degree and the the um sarah going to take out dyson is only just before that one hour 20 she goes to dyson's by one hour 30 they're on their way to cyberdyne from 1 30 onwards until the two hour mark that's purely like survival it's 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 you know it's planning the explosion of cyberdyne it's the breakout then you're into the truck then you're into the helicopter then you're into the cryo crash then you've got the the fight against the t-1000 it's 30 full minutes and it keeps upping unre- the ante yeah. topping itself every time yeah. and it's escalation that, all the way all the way through the helicopter aerial stuff there i think is as good as maybe even oh. better than die hard that we talked about and it's going, it's going under, the bridge. under the bridge yeah insane Ooh, mama Best stuff. yeah 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 lovely isn't it we've been waxing arnie's uh truck that can only go the, it's the vehicle's top speed um, we've been waxing it uh, one of the one of the criticisms that does get thrown at t2 is um the flabby the flabby middle in mexico um what are your thoughts on that now that, that this isn't this isn't necessarily my point of view i'll probably put that across in a minute but but yeah devil's advocate what are we what are we thinking um as a is that a legitimate criticism i i feel like it's totally deserved because it sits literally right in the middle of the film and it is literally the middle of the film and i think that it's been so breathless up until that point that without without actually sitting with those people just for a little while because like Sarah's um acceptance of uh of Uncle Bob Arnie whatever um as a potential like uh, to look after John is really fast like it's really quick you know considering she goes from this is the the worst thing I could possibly imagine like the worst thing she could ever imagine is a is an elevator door opening and that thing coming after her again and within like 20 minutes, she has to accept that she's now on this guy's side. Do you know what makes me believe that really quickly? It's because she he uses Reese's line from the first one. He says, come with me if you want to live. And she right. immediately clicks back into he's here to protect me. And and you just accept it. It's a very clever echoing of what's come before. But That, that could be a line that John sent him back to say to her. Well, that's the internal logic that you can apply that, that makes sense. You know, how else would he know to say it precisely the yeah. same? It must be. That you think you want the thing that you think you want, which is, oh, just wall-to-wall action is what I really mm. want. You know, why can't films just be like 90 minutes of just an exhilarating ride? Even Mad Max Fury Road has a breather. Because you need to yeah. have it, otherwise you will just become desensitized and almost just overwhelmed. It allows um, character development. It allows, you know, it's a reset, isn't it, in a movie? I don't think yeah. I've even ever considered it as a sag but or anything either. like that. I've never yeah. even dawned on me that it could be thought of that way. Reading sort of contemporary reviews, but also kind of just general criticisms and the letterboxed for this. But I'd also seen it many, many times, which right. is. Ah, uh, the Mexico stuff is a bit of a drag. But it's all relative, isn't it? It's because the other bits are so big that that, mm. by comparison, that looks like it sags, but it it never did. To you me. need balance, don't you? Yeah, it's, yeah. It's still shot really well. It's really engrossing. And he he it's... picks up a toddler by its by its little dungarees, and it's like the cutest thing in the film. That's the line for me in terms of Arnold and the the humor and what you can get away with. 
uh, because he's learning the human behavior and it does it gets a bit silly when he smiles in the director's cut i think that's that was my line the toddler okay the smile is slightly over for me my favorite kind of arny bit of humor that again we're treading the line thinly but they nail it and it breaks the fourth wall as well which is just like you know this is supreme confidence is when he swears he will not kill anyone and then seconds later shoots the guard in the knees <laughs> he'll live <laughs> such a again that kind of like level of personality into this killing robot machine um <laughs> is is why i i you know it's the tin man gets a heart it really is it's like he's starting to emote even even before um he's mentioned the the more the more i the more i interact the more i learn no, you gotta promise me you're not gonna kill anyone right right swear what just put up your hand and say, I swear I won't kill anyone. I swear I will not kill anyone. All right, let's go. Listing hours is 10 to 4, Monday through Friday. What the hell are you doing? You son of a bitch! You shot me! He'll live. The Ringer did the um one of those incredible oral histories they did about Terminator 2, and I'm pretty sure that that is Cameron's ah. description of the appeal, the, the enduring appeal of the film. The Tin Man line, yeah. Uh, yeah. Th- there's a couple yeah. for me, yeah. like when he goes, talk wrench, please. Like, why would he <laughs> say please? Um If you start to analyze it, it sort of bends your mind a bit. Like, did John teach him etiquette in the car over there? But then yeah. uh, there's a line in the first one that I watched last night, and he goes... Uh, Where's Sarah Connor? I would like to see her, please. He does say please when he's going to the cop, <laughs> to the cops. So he's got some programming that maybe it's like the T1000 with the good looking boy thing, trying to get, trying to infiltrate. But again, it works as a beautiful contrast because he is not as natural as the T1000. Do you believe he would say, I insist when they're forcing their mm-hmm. way into Cyberdyne? Yeah. Um, also he makes a clicking sound. He does like a little wink at one point. Uh, oh, when, when, they, yeah. when they're going to set the explosives off and he goes yes. with the thing, it's like, would he do that? Who taught him that? <laughs> but it's all earned at that point, isn't it? And you understand the learning computer and personality and John having taught him. It, I think it's been earned quite big time. All the wax aside, it still has my... It gets away with it. I think we spoke about it before, but I need a vacation has no place. It is vocabulary. Right, I'm gonna get um, I'm gonna get a bit heavy, team. Um, uh oh, uh yeah, How long can you hold yeah. it for? <laughs> well, you wish. Hey, Ma, look at this. Huh? <laughs> Two, three pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Bruce, for that. Um, so it's called Terminator Two. There are two Terminators, but let's talk about the third Terminator, Sarah Connor. Yeah, Sarah Connor, her transformation, but also. The thing that I, I really, in this watch, I was like, wow. Like in a summer blockbuster popcorn bonanza, James Cameron manages to slip in the Miles Dyson plot whereby we ask the, we ask this existential, morally ambiguous question of is a despicable act justified if it stops? Do you kill baby Hitler or not? Despicable acts. 
do you kill baby exactly <laughs> exactly like but yeah. i you know watching it now you know we're adults i mean as a as a as a younger viewer i was very much just like Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is the way to stop Skynet. Yeah, kill, kill Dot. Yeah, just kill him. Whatever. What an odd child you were. <laughs> I'm thinking I'm with you, Gally. I just yeah, just take him out. But as, the older you get, the 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 deeper that question becomes, isn't it? Well, because you know she's the she's the lead in the film. So like you, you I think you mentioned like when you watch a film as a kid, you just don't really even process it as a film. It's just that you know that's what it's, Sarah it's does. Yeah. Doing something. yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it is interesting that, that, yeah, they went ahead with it. They portrayed it extremely graphically. Like she fucks his house up. His, his kid is right there. Like she's willing to, you know, endanger. It's also really great storytelling for, for this, for the Terminator as well, for Terminator 2, because that's where the difference is. She can't do it at the end. She can't kill the wife, the kid, the, the adult. Mm. And it, it turns out she, she, proves that she's human and is that is that a comment on human versus machine and, and where they're willing to go and hamilton does great mm. oh stellar work and and also patrick the the scene has also got a button of reconciliation between her and john uh-huh. you know we've seen this antagonistic yes. relationship he he is desperate for her love also she's showing mercy there and that's what he does through the whole film Did you recognize the kid, by the way? Miles Dyson's little lad. He's from a film we've done, The Bodyguard. It's a uh, little Fletcher. Oh, from no way. Yeah. Fletcher. Oh, no How way. about that yeah. little dude? Oh, if I'd known, I would have jumped into the scene. Like, <laughs> Pulled him off a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. No, uh, it's, just a, it's just a wonderful, it's a wonderful question. And it's what I love about science fiction in particular. And this film is, let's not forget, you know, as much as it's an action movie, it's a sci-fi film. And, and Cameron just drops that like very heavy question and we move on quickly. And it's also, it, it feeds into this whole idea of predestination from the first film to the theme that he's running through this entire movie, which is, you know, there is no fate, but what we make for ourselves. That paradox is not lost on me. And that's why I think these two films, they're like almost like symbiotic. You kind of can't have one without yeah. the other. Um, I don't know why I've gone Yorkshire. <laughs> you don't say the tother, you say what one without tother. Yeah, Gary. <laughs> For your FYI. <laughs> eee, I bet he thinks I'm a rat. Pathetic tip. <laughs> <laughs> We've given Linda Hamilton credit because she's doing incredible work in this movie. We've given Robert Patrick some severe credit because he plays like the ultimate villain. Joe Morton comes in and I think kind of secretly MVPs this because it's, it could be a relatively forgettable mm. role. Miles Dyson, creator of Skynet, bland bloke. But he yep. really brings like a lot of humanity to it. And you see how excited he is 
by the technology, but he doesn't mm. see the mm. you know the repercussions, the dangers of of pushing the technology that far. Even when he's like taking us to worlds, we never believe. I like that bit where he catches himself. That's that's great. That bit, and then he has a noble death, mm. which mm. honestly, this time round, cut me up. Really cut me up yeah. watching him kind of grasp the remote control, which you know. Let's not ask questions about where those yellow barrels came from, but, you know, whatever. You know, for years watching this film, I could never figure out what he was holding over the, the switch. It took me such a long time, but it's part of the the chip. Uh, you know, he, he takes the axe and he smashes up the chip and he uses oh, that. Oh, yeah, right, right, yeah. He hovers yeah. it. But that, like, what are, of all time great on-screen deaths? Mm. Like, Morton there is, is superb. Yeah. It's the look that he has as well when when um, Arnie reveals his arm to him to educate. Yeah, and he sees the arm. His facial expression there is again tells you everything you need to know about his existentialism, everything he's going thinking mm. about in that moment is terrific. And obviously, most people will remember him for for kind of a pretty uh, breathless death. I mean, it's uh, mm-hmm. but again ramps up the tension. Totally, yeah, yeah. It's a ticking clock. I've never seen someone it's, die like that. It's like out of a Vietnam movie or something, isn't it? It's really kind of yeah. harrowing. I don't know how much longer I can hold this. Go back! Anybody out? Go back now! Go! He's not quite Ham Neal, but is there a Ham Neal in the film? Um, Gibbons! Uh... Gibbons. <laughs> <laughs> you can't leave, you the, can't desk leave like... the desk like that! Even when he makes the phone call, like he doesn't quite go... Oh, yeah. um... It's the guy from the mall. <laughs> it is him. Yeah, he's worse than the gardening guy. The gardening guy's bad, but... I like the gardening guy, though. I like the guy. You're okay, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> he, he is yeah. great as well. The, the little jump is good. Oh, there's a little noise <laughs> as well. Yeah. <laughs> he goes over the thing. I got... Uh, uh, my, fav- my favorite weird noise is um, Danny, his mate, on the back of his dirt bike when he's listening to yeah. Guns N' Roses and he's listening to Slash's sick riff. <laughs> And he just can't help himself, and he just goes, "Wow!" <laughs> Very good. <laughs> oh, my favorite. This film has one of my favorite like noises. <laughs> is um, when he's loading the um, the grenade launcher. Yeah, I love that it's, sound. Yeah. That sound is amazing. There's quite a few ham neals. I mean, even <laughs> uh, um, Miles Dyson's wife has got a great like scream when she sees the arm. She's like. Whoa! But then you know, she's got a she's got a she's got a line which is you know aren't we changing things right now? Like, yeah, yes, we are. The way it we goes. are. Well done. It goes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm award her anyway. Um, right? Can I just talk about the the lack of pyrotechnics in modern pyrotechnics? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But it's like I set that one up, didn't I? No, you can't. You can't, Alan. <laughs> How incredible is the Cyberdyne explosion? So good that they show it twice. You think Nolan looked at that when he did the Dark Knight one? Because he, it's similar, isn't it? He tried to top it, I think. It's, it's great. Every yeah. bullet hit in this, like, there's a great shot in the elevator. Doors are closing. There's bullet hits coming through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they're all. It's 
it's a terrific SFX film as well as VFX film. Mm. It's, you know, had we, had we had anything quite so astonishing at the time? No, no, we didn't. When the T-1000 comes out of, from the truck and fire on the waterway under the bridge. Mm. Holy mm. shit. Yeah. And like, you know, some films today don't hold up to this for me. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I was going to say at the time and, oh, since, you know, you don't want to go too far. God bless but, you, Stan Winston. God bless you, ILM. But, you know, mm. we're thinking about, um, when we've talked about, uh, the use of, uh, computer generated images to create, uh, VFX and the difference is they had to plan it to the nth degree mm. because it was so expensive yeah. and so difficult to do, which means that everything yeah. would have been so tightly storyboarded. And also they're still trying to prove it, aren't they? That they're still trying to prove that it's possible. Yeah. They're not coming at it from a point where this is the, mm. the cheapest way to do it. This is the way it's done now. It's like this and Jurassic Park were really trying to say, is this the next level for effects? And they're, they're like literally inventing it for what they're doing, which means that you know, yeah, they, they, they had to know and the, the blend is just, it's, it's all an illusion. So it's like having the, the fucking incredible giant squibs on Robert Patrick mm. that bloom out yeah. into those silver yeah. bullet holes. Um, and that every time they use a Stan Winston, you know, like when his head's all fucked up and split open, it's, you know, because then you get the, the random, like the, it's the randomness that, that CGI always struggled with, especially early CGI. So, you know, to get the, like the reflective effect would look quite basic, but if you have a chrome painted practical, it's going to reflect light and it's going to reflect the set in completely random ways. And by intercutting between the two and, and never showing it for any longer than they needed to. Cause that's the thing. If you were going to do a showcase for something, you could have lawnmower manned it, which is like, just sit down and watch <laughs> this fucking thing I made. Because this is essentially my show reel, but it's like they were they were so sparing. And I think that's where the editing comes in as well. In here, you know, you see all the cuts are like Gally said, designed. It's 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 storyboarded. You know, Cameron knows above all when he needs to cut from bullet shot to bullet hit to sell it. With you know, he's filmmaking at the highest quality. But he even mm. uses like old techniques. So when Robert Patrick is running, he's just wearing a vest with some silver pads. And, uh, he's got the knives. And they're, and they're, and they're in, and they're intercut. Yeah, he's holding when he's some physical up the, props. The hill. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and, and then, but then when you blend it all in, okay, if you look really closely, of course you can see, but in the moment you are not in, in any way questioning anything you see because it's all blended. And what is, what has been a visual effect? What has been, uh, used on set. It's, yeah, it's, it's masterful stuff. And the whole Cyberdyne explosion elevator stuff is just like a celebration of old Hollywood blockbuster techniques. And I, I, I crave it back. I want it back. I think one of the There's, hardest um, shots they had, cause I, I don't think it was achieved. It looks like it was a really hard shot to achieve is when Arnie jumps off the sliding uh, liquid nitrogen. Oh, Roly Poly Army. Just the yeah. uh, army roll. Army. Yeah. Arnie. I can't figure that one out. That it might like be an a... optical. It might be a no, dummy. No, I, can't. I don't know what it is. Shot a dummy out of a cannon. It looks weird. 
<laughs> is there a, an element of the miniature in the back? I don't know, but it's that looked like a tough shot. But they sell it. He sells it. It, it looks almost like a Phil Tippett style Could stop be. motion, yeah. potentially. I thought it looked a bit slightly CG. It looked a bit optically to me, but it's really weird. I don't know how they did it. The the contrast to that is that the big set piece that they sold Terminator Three on, which is the truck chase, which is very impressively mounted, but it just doesn't it just doesn't have the same heft to it because. Everything that happens here is constantly pulled back to what this means for the characters at that exact moment. It's the ticking clock. It's the, uh, it's the chase. It's the survival. And then the, the truck in Terminator three takes so much time to show you the working, show you like, this is difficult for us to do. We really did get a crane. And so it just, it doesn't have that propulsiveness. It's like, I think Gally, you always used the phrase like kill your darlings or, you know, basically know what you can get rid of. And they didn't because they knew that we spent a lot on this. So they wanted to put the money on screen. Whereas I think, um, Cameron always understands put the story on screen. It's like on the, the helicopter chase, the helicopter passes the liquid nitrogen truck. Oh, it's great, isn't mm. it? It ah. even says liquid nitrogen for T-1000s at the side. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my favorite shot's in there. You know that bit where Arnie goes, it's actually Arnie's stunt double. What's the guy from Mallrats called? The one that looks like Elon Musk on the motorbike. That's the double. <laughs> he, he goes from the gardening truck onto the sort of bonnet of the, uh, of the truck and he just shoots through the, Oh, through yeah, the glass yeah. and it just oh, yeah, fills the yeah, T-1000 yeah. just full of lead and he's just all turning uh, silver as he's getting shot. And it just looks brutal and real and they're really moving as well. And it's a real practical, dangerous thing. It leads us to the ending, which as a child, when Arnie delivers the line and shoots the T-1000 in, in its frozen state, you're like, brilliant, one. When he comes back together... Mm-hmm. Of which they sat up earlier when, um, they, they cut off some of his, yep. uh, some of his arm and then it, it morphs back in. The Ned Flanders show. Again, yeah, <laughs> absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Mustn't have seen me. Um, when, when they, yeah, when, when they, uh, when they, when they get to that part, you know, you're thinking, holy shit, like this thing cannot be destroyed. Yeah. Could he have picked him up when he was frozen and, and got him into the into the lava, or would he have still heated up yeah. as he got too many little bits. No, no, when he's frozen, yeah. pick him up when he's frozen. You don't want him heating up in your arms. And coming yeah, that would. Also, when you know that bit you just mentioned, Gally, when uh, John throws the little bit back onto the road and it goes back onto his foot. They did that because they were originally going to have him imitate John. So John had actually touched him at that point, so he could imitate him. But they didn't know how they were going to end it, and they went with Sarah instead. We've not actually mentioned Edward Furlong. I think he's fine in the movie as a non-actor, literally plucked from obscurity. But I think Furlong's best work is in those emotional moments. The bit in the car when he's like says to Sarah, you know, I had to get you out. When he's trying to play edgy. Yeah, street streetwise skate kid. Fucking poochie. That's just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does a good job. I'm going to defend him actually. Well. I think he's very good and he's very, uh, he feels very of the time. You know, the River Phoenix hair, mm. the, the early nineties stuff. I, 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 I think he's great. He's, he's quite unaffected. He's not like a, he doesn't have that little, like little actor kid presence. He's not got that kind of creepy preternatural, you know, he's, he's awkward and clumsy and that's what kids are like. And they are kind of weird. And he would be, trying to be cool and and 
I think it works. The older I get, the more I, I appreciate him in it. Yeah, no, I think he, I think he's good enough in it. I think the deleted scenes were the right scenes for him to go as well for his performance. There's a bit where he like talks about kids playing with Nintendo and you're like, Oh God, that's a bit irritating. Keep doing that voice. No, it, I, I but it's a bit like when I do my, um, my criticize people on Twitter who criticize. Oh, well, uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Um, the, the, T-1000 doesn't need to imitate Sarah. Oh, God. Ali's back in the basement. I've been growing this neck beard for 10 days. Uh, anyway. Oh, dear. You can find us on Letterboxd. <laughs> uh, when he does the, I order you not to go, yeah, that gets me. No, it'll be okay. Stay with us. It'll be okay. I have to go away. No, don't do it. Please, don't go. I must go away, John. No! No, wait. Wait, you don't have to do this. Sorry. No, don't do it. Don't go. It has to end here. I order you not to go. I order you not to go. I order you not to go. I know now why you cry. But it's something I can never do. But but that I think that goes back to the narration of Connors as well. Like it all. I suppose it ha- mm. maybe it's a little bit manipulative and it helps feed into it, but you really understand. And the thumb is beautiful because that's he, that's the thing that he oh. taught him. Oh, I'm going now. I have to be mm, careful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just feeling it. <laughs> it's like spaced all over again. The thumb though yeah. is like if you haven't cried at the I know now why you cry, mm. which is a great line, mm. a great moment. It, the, the thumb is a real shocker. Isn't oh. It? Like, oh God. Oh, there's more. Because there's it's more. funny. Oh, it's a gentle laugh in a moment that's moving. It's yeah. so great. It's got that, like, um, there's something that Cameron can do, and I think that it's why none of the ancillary films that came in, in its wake and none of the films that ripped it off, he so unabashedly believes in this stuff to the level that he's a massive fucking nerd, that it's like, you have to be that earnest and no one else seems to be able to do it. No one's willing to be that kind of, it could potentially be a bit embarrassing, but like, you know, he, you know, he fucking believes that thumb bit, you know, we <laughs> talked about it in, in the Terminator, you know how, cause I've, again, another criticism as well, the Terminator is better cause it's a nastier movie and it's more of a horror film, more of a slasher slash and stalk. Yes. But the Terminator also has these goofy moments when Kyle Reese goes, I came across town for you, Sarah. You're like, yeah, that is a fucking clanger. But he believes it. He believes that line. It's in his script. Michael Bean delivers it. And you go, yeah, I'm with you. Uh, I'm with you too. I think it might be in the making of when he's talking about approaching Arnold for Terminator 2. And you think he just said, by the end of the film, I'm going to make the audience cry. And I think that was his like mission statement almost mm. for the film. Yeah. He fucking did. I-, I was crying, which is why like I need a vacation line. You know, we don't like that line, but I guarantee you that yeah. in a packed house on in, August in 16, 91, yeah. everyone went, yeah. woohoo, what a line. I'm using that one tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I think he understands. And, and I guess that that's why, you know, um, not everything that he does works for us. I think, you know, yeah. his, I'm his, the king uh, of the world is another one that's like, oof. Exactly. You know, would you want to call it? It's like a, it's like a cheese parallax (laughs) and everyone's got their own approach to it. And 
you know, that's why maybe something like Avatar can be so massive and connect with so many people, but also leave so many other people cold because he just keeps, he's venturing further and further. He's pushing the parallax yeah. and we can't always go with him. Where do you, where do you jump off? Where, where do you, uh, Matt, I think you were, you were wondering where people are done. Where are people done with Jim? For, for me, uh, it's 84 to 91 and it is bookended by the two Terminator films quite nicely. Not, not True Lies. I don't like True Lies. I don't care for it. And I don't like, okay. uh, I, I, when I look at the Arnie stuff, it's, it's all w- within those years. And, and the Jim, Jim stuff is the same for me. I just, I, I'm not interested in anything after T2. Right. Matt, I've just jumped on my bike. I've got my red-headed friend with a mullet who's carrying a tape cassette player thing that's blaring out Guns N' Roses. I'm on my way through downtown LA, but I'm being chased by a policeman with very pointy ears, and all I want to do is go to Critics Corner. So, Matt, what did the critics have to say about this film? Well, first of all, uh, bonus Critics Corner is Howard Stern. Howard Stern said... Terminator 2, that was like better than Terminator 1, which is a good review. <laughs> uh, Gene Siskel um, called it truly spectacular and mystifying special effects and uh, some surprisingly solid acting. This is one terrific action picture. Uh, he enjoyed it a lot more than the original. He found it very well cast and Furlong had convincing energy. Sarah was well played. Um, and not made into a sex object. She has a presence and she's powerful. Um, obviously the best part was the action scenes. Um, he said that the T-1000 looked like a mean waiter who'd been to the health club a lot. Uh, and he, he thought it was smart to go lean with the bad guy instead of a Dolph Lundgren type. Um, so yeah, strange to agree with him so much, but, uh, Ebert said it was a terrific movie. He really enjoyed it. Schwarzenegger has a, an uncanny ability to find the right note between seriousness and humor, which lightens the load of the film. Uh, the laughs are always with Arnold, not against him. He gave it three and a half stars out of four. Um, he did go a bit cross-eyed noting the, the travel paradoxes, the time travel stuff. Um, but, uh, Ebert liked that, uh, John ordered the machine to, to stop killing people. And uh, the, the result is a, a neat twist on that tradition of Schwarzenegger and, and uh, like we said, the movie star tropes that we've um, come to know about him. Uh, said that the key, the key uh, was the villain and it has a great villain along with an intriguing hero and a fierce heroine. Um, yeah. And there's a couple, there's a couple more, but I'll, I'll put them, put them on the blog. Maybe. Pop quiz, hot shot. A reminder that Matt and Dev are tied on four in the lead and Gally's way behind on one. What's your buzzer, Gally? Gibbons! It's <laughs> a good one. It's a good one. Uh, Matt, what's your buzzer? Drop the shit! <laughs> That's good. That's good. And Dev. Easy money. Oh. Nice. Good, sharp, succinct buzzers there. But here we go with question one. What is the name of the arcade? Drop the shit! Galleria. The, the, the Galleria? Galleria. Um, Galleria. Galleria. Correct. For the first point, that's Matt with one. Question two. What's the name of the biker bar? Gibbons. Guitars and Cadillacs? (laughs) 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 No, not even close. Sorry. Easy money. Devlin. 
twisted titty twister. Drop the shit, Matt. Is it a tech noir? It's on Pico. Um, <laughs> it's the coral. Oh, no, oh, no idea. Coral, I guess. No one got that. I'm sorry. Question three: What's Miles Dyson's son's name? Fletcher from the Body Guy. Easy money. Is it Marcus? No. Sorry, Shit. Givens. Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Andy's and- not Andy, but you're on the right lines. It's Danny. 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 Uh, or Daniel, I would have accepted, I'm afraid. Sorry, that means that Matt, you're the winner with only one correct answer on this week's episode. Uh, right, well, that just leaves us to summarise. So, Devlin, I'll start with you. Any final thoughts on Terminator 2 Judgment Day, and would you recommend it to our listeners? Uh, final thoughts on Terminator 2 Judgment Day is that Terminator 2 Judgment Day is really fucking good. And <laughs> it's like the most obvious statement. Um, uh, I really loved watching Terminator back when we did the episode on that. That really kind of, um, really hit, like, uh, uh, in a big way because I probably hadn't really processed that one, um, as much as, uh, as I thought I, I, I should have, whereas I was very familiar with Terminator 2, but it really does just, it just works so well every single time. So, um, yeah, I loved it. Uh, my favorite scene is actually, um, Sarah having to watch herself freak out about the, the, the you know, you get to see the kind mm. of Cassandra complex panic. And the, the, just the terror of, of, you know, having lived with this and the knowledge of, of what she is going to have to do and what's going to happen. And then watching her try and manipulate her way out of the hospital. And then when she realizes it's not working, just being incapable of, of suppressing that rage again. So it really does sell the pipeline of when she, um, the way that she goes from, you know, being completely closed off, broken, uh, like a machine to regaining her humanity. It's, it's, it's like the thesis of the film and it's, it's so beautifully put together and so clear and, <clears throat> and it really does have thematic weight and it really does have emotional heft and it really does say other things outside of just the text of the film. But at no point does it labor itself with them. It doesn't, it doesn't pile that. It doesn't wear it heavily. It's, it, it just, it moves so quickly and it's so entertaining. So. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a big thumbs up from me before my thumb melts. How about you, Matt? Once you cut into that blue hue and we've got that, um, the metal endoskeletons and lasers and tank tracks and all that, it's just game over already. I'm happily in for the whole <laughs> running time every time. Um, I think it's escapist action with a propulsive, infinitely rewatchable, uh, kind of terrifying edge to it and if you if we talk about films we've seen the most this is up there with aliens and die hard and predator and all all the big hitters uh, it's probably the best sound mix i've ever heard we didn't really get to we, we talked about our favorite sound effects which is oh. fun but <laughs> but it's really great um i love the sound of the, is it the m4 she's firing at dyson <laughs> I like yeah oh. It's, and I'm only talking gun sounds, well, but they sound incredible. The images and the sounds and the music too, uh, the Brad Fidel stuff, it's just interlocked and inseparable in only a way that great cinema can accomplish. Um, the score really does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of the emotion as well. Um, so it, it is a redo, just like Evil Dead 2 is a redo. Um, 
and I know for a fact that it, it that they're fans because either Bill Paxton took James Cameron or James Cameron took Bill Paxton to see Evil Dead Two, uh, and said you're going to love this. I can't remember who which way around it was, but um, I'm sure it influenced him in the sense that you can do the same thing again and do it better and do it bigger. Um, I it, it's one of the most cinematic movies ever made. I think. And it still looks like it was made yesterday in, in parts. Um, it, it was really nice to revisit when James Cameron was cool, you know, at his peak. Um, I'm going to write a little bit about it. I've got a little bit cruel about Jim, but there's a lot of car wax for the film uh, over in, on the Rewind blog. Um, I think along with Aliens, it's his best film. Um, depending on the day, it's one of the two. Uh, it's aged really beautifully for me. I don't know anyone that doesn't love it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, when, when he's going down that highway at night with bad to the bone, you know, and peel, peeling away on the Harley, I think that is cinema. I mean, you can talk about the bicycle thieves and Bergman and Tarkovsky and everything, but Arnie on a Harley Davidson as a cyborg is about as, <laughs> as good as it gets for me. Maybe I'm a dummy, but you know, I'll take, I'll take that. Um, yeah, absolutely love it. Um, big recommend. How about you, Patrick? Yeah, huge recommend. We spoke of first impressions and when we first saw it, I, I still remember being utterly entranced then and wowed. And re- I, I think it was the kid in me that was really emotionally involved in Arnie at the time. It may have even started off my Arnold um, cinematic, you know, like love anyway, that in Kindergarten Cop. And it still hits me every time. The special edition film, when they take the chip out, I, I yesterday when I watched it, the other day, I realised that was the moment. I was like, I'm really, really emotionally involved in all these characters, and I was really upset at the thought of him dying at that point and that then being terminated or switched off at the end. It's the right time, but it's really hits you. Um, the performances are great. The direction's great, the SFX, VFX, the cinematography, the editing. Technically, it's such a, like, perfect film, really, and a perfect action film. The, the, the breather Gally spoke about comes at the right time, so is it Cameron's best writing? Perhaps, you know, we'd be able to speak that he's not the greatest writer, but the dialogue is simple. Um, it, it gets you from A to B. It's a really, uh, economic film, actually, maybe call it. But it's so exciting and entertaining and deep and provocative and then light and enjoyable at times that the balance of it is perfect for me. Um, highly rewatchable, highly quotable. It's, it's fucking awesome, isn't it? It's just an awesome, awesome, cool, amazing film. Mm. And for us at the Rewind Movie Podcast, I think this it's, it's one of the pinnacles, isn't it? Theme. Yeah. It's the first yeah. episode of the new 100 episodes and it probably will be high on the awards when we come to the next 100. Was it a bit sad for you knowing that we've done this one? Because it's kind of like, mm. where, where does the Rewind Podcast go from Terminator <laughs> 2? Can we get any? Yeah, but you could think that after Alien. Any more us? Know, like, yeah. If, if Cameron has he been hailed as like the master of sequels, and yeah. I think there's things in here that he's, I think he brought from Aliens, like the strength of Sarah Connor, yeah. how good Hamilton is in this. Even a, a little bit, I was trying to find notes, like the female prison warden 
breaks Arnie's sunglasses and it, the yeah. men can't do anything to him, but the woman does. And I'm like, oh, there's something in that. And mm. I think it's Cameron really giving a voice to certain characters. And, and How beats. cool that she's already in a cast yes. as well. Like it's yeah. those little yeah. like details build yeah. the world out. You know, it's the design. It's, it's, yeah. There's no way, Connor. <laughs> She's got a whole little character. <laughs> yeah. And I know that you, you've fell out of love with him a bit after this film, but like Cameron, from a design point of view as a director, is what did Galley say about the plates on the Titanic had to have the right, you know, mm. badges and everything. And it could, it could, it could be considered like megalomaniacal, but you can't deny the results, right? No, you can't. He might be a total asshole, but... And I can see why my dad got so excited in the 80s with the Terminator. And he would always say, I've never seen anything like it. He's always so energetic about it. And it was exactly the same with this. I don't think he could believe his luck. You know, all the the Marvel films now he gets excited about because the kid in him wanted those in the 60s when he was reading the comic books. And then he gets the Terminator and Terminator 2. And he, you, you should talk to him. You guys would love chatting to him about this film. Yeah. And he'll quote it back to you every oh, you should time. guest sometime. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've done his episode now. That's it. Game over. Uh, Tombstone, maybe, he'd, he'd like to talk about. Guys, um, your dad's so, age uh, love that movie. Fucking love that <laughs> film. Yeah, sure, I'll sign that. Yeah. Um, so, Gally, do you recommend, uh, what do you, what's your final thoughts on Terminator 2? Honestly, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to follow those summaries up and add anything new. Um, but what I will say is we're in, we're in violent agreement, uh, about this film. Um, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's an absolutely phenomenal action sci-fi film. Um, and I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed watching it through the prism of us having a chat about it. Um, because there were details that I picked up on that are kind of just, I'd always subconsciously known were there, but hadn't really given them um, the credit. Uh, you know, Joe Morton's performance, as, as I say, as, uh, as Dyson, I just think he's great. Just such humanity to such a kind of possible throwaway, um, character, especially when he comes in so late and we barely spend any time with him. Um, and, and yeah, I think the, the point we made about Cameron, um, being a bit hokey. And having these moments of, of kind of like cringe, that's kind of what makes his films so, such crowd pleasers. And, um, and I'm happy to take a little bit of sweet with my sour. Um, so yeah, Terminator 2 is an absolute must watch. And if you've never seen it, oh, I'm so jealous because you're gonna, you're gonna watch it at some point and you're, you're gonna definitely probably, well, I would like to think you'll feel the exact same way that we all have. So, um, yeah. I've nothing really more to add. Uh, Devlin, why don't you tell the listeners about the uh, the written essays that are going to go up onto the website? Uh, we're going to be kind of focusing a lot more this year on uh, on written pieces for people to digest uh, our work that way alongside uh, the podcast. Load up your Skynet and head to uh, um, rewindmoviecast.com. Matt is putting together another uh, phenomenal introductory essay with a video playlist, I would imagine. Absolutely. Uh, There's going to be an essay on T2 and James Cameron. And uh, if you're interested where we can see the film um, this week, in South Korea, you can watch it on Naver. You can rent it on Naver and uh, Google. And in the UK, uh, you can get it on Now Cinema, which is part of Sky, I believe. You can stream it. It's also on Sky Cinema if you have a Sky subscription. And in the USA, our American friends can rent it 
in all kinds of places like Redbox, Microsoft, DirecTV, and they can stream it on DirecTV and HBO Max. This is something I'd definitely look into getting it on 4K with the Terminator these days as well. I'd, I'd, I'm starting to get into 4K restorations at the moment. Right. Well, that'd be a, that's a must, isn't it? But the, yeah. These two, yeah. I think, are high and the alien and aliens terminate terminate two are high up on my list um that i'd like to have and if you could also go and get yourself across to t-mill which is where we keep our rewind movie podcast merchandise and a bunch of other shirts posters bags and all sorts of bullshit james cameron stickers together over the years there is an amazing <laughs> james cameron terminator sticker there's also i'm going to put a link in the uh show notes so if you are listening to this on any of your uh, uh, streaming platforms of choice, you click down on the Red Bubble link. That is going to take you to a Terminator T-shirt that I made that was removed from T-Mill for potential <laughs> copyright infringement. Yeah. So I had to move it out to the wild west of Red Bubble. Uh, it's cool. It's a Terminator shirt that says "Fuck you, asshole." <laughs> it's great. Be a rebel. <laughs> Get older. Indeed, and listeners, if you like what we do, then please do like, share, subscribe. Pen as a wee review. Spread the gospel team. That's all we ask. That way we can uh, bring more people to the party. Also, if you want a listener request, then do contact us via our Gmail or on Twitter. All of our contacts are on the show notes. Right. We'll say goodbye then, team, shall we? Chill out, dickwad. It's Gally in Glasgow. Stay safe, everyone. Wolfie's just fine, honey. It's Devon in London. Shit, that's a damn minigun. It's Patrick signing off from London. Thank you very much. Adios. It's Matt in South Korea. Thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we will catch you next time on the Rewind Movie Podcast.